Well, good evening and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, coming to you over EWTN Radio, and we're broadcasting from the studios at the Coming Home Network International in Central Ohio. And again, I thank you for joining us on this program. Each week I invite someone to join me uh, who loves Scripture and wants to discuss a, a favorite verse and uh, a theme for this last this year that we're approaching, that, that ever since June, excuse me, has been verses that have inspired us uh, in our desire to follow Jesus Christ. And uh, our guest for this evening is uh, Tim Drake. If you go to the website, deepinscripture.com, you'll find uh, a, a photo of Tim and a little bit of his bio. For those of you that can't see the the uh, the website, let me read you his bio. He serves as a senior writer with the National Catholic Register and Faith and Family Magazine. He has published more than 600 articles and publications such as our Sunday Visitor, This Rock Magazine, Columbia Magazine, and many others. He's the author of four books, including the most recent, Behind Bella, The Amazing Story of Bella and the Lives It Changed, published by Ignatius. Tim has appeared on EWTN. He's been with me on the Journey Home program, Vatican Radio, Fox News, and is a frequent guest on national radio programs. He resides in St. Joseph, Minnesota with his wife and five children, and he'll join us after the break. I want to remind you on our website, uh, deepinscripture.com, you'll see a number of items, including the uh, phone number. In case you'd like to give us a call, we'd love to hear from you, 800-664-5110, or you can call anytime at 740-450-1175. That's the phone number for the Coming Home Network International. You can write me an email at marcus at deepinscripture.com. And if you go to the website, there's a link that you can watch the program live on the Internet if you'd like. We quote St. Jerome on the website, his famous well-known quote, for ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Christ. And, and that, in fact, is why we emphasize the idea of being deep in Scripture so that we can, in fact, know him as closely as the Holy Spirit will empower us to do, the graces that open our hearts and minds to hear and to follow him. And by grace, we seek to live according to his word. I asked him to choose a passage for tonight, and he chose uh, a wonderful story from the end of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. It tells a familiar story that happened after the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, it, it, when you think about the, the New Testament writers and their ministering to those first-generation Christians, and there was, of course, no New Testament. All there was, when they used the word scriptures, they referred to what we call the Old Testament. The letters that were being written by Paul, Peter, John, and James were usually uh, the second choice. It seems when you when you read the the New Testament uh, witness, it always seems like the primary desire for any of those New Testament leaders was to be with the people in person, and they would deliver the faith in person. And there were times when they couldn't be there or because a crisis arose and so since they couldn't be there but they had to address an issue 
then they would write a letter, and a lot of Paul's letters are that way. But very early, it was recognized that the stories of Jesus, which were being passed on word of mouth, from Jesus to his apostles, and the apostles were passing on the disciples, that's how we know the stories of Jesus. But early on, some of these were written down. And it may have been, for example, uh, let's say the Apostle John is telling what he remembered, the stories, and while he's telling them, maybe there was someone writing them down, listening, a secretary. And uh, in Luke's case, it seems that as a companion of the Apostle Paul traveling around the Mediterranean, he wanted to tell a particular person about more details about the life of Jesus as well as the the lives of the early church. And out of that, he did research and he collected stories and he put them down into the gospel of named after him. And then later we see the continuation of that in the book of Acts. And my point for mentioning all this is that John indicates at the end of his gospel that it would nearly be impossible to have included every single story about the life and teaching of Jesus. And so they were selective. And part of the reason they were selective was it's not like today where you can walk down to a a store and buy reams and reams and reams of paper. Then it was very expensive, and so they had to be conservative, and so there was a selection process. We encounter in this story at the end of Luke uh, the very famous story about the uh, the meeting of Jesus with two along the road to Emmaus, and it's a, a of all the stories this one Luke saw as significant for many of the issues that it illustrates. And I'm going to read this long section, but I think it's important to hear the whole story. Then we'll take a break, and then Tim will join us. But I want you to hear this story. Most of you have probably certainly heard it before. But listen to the story, and particularly listen to the, uh, the images that are in this story that connect to the sacraments, that connect to uh, the living out of our faith as we seek to follow Christ faithfully, beginning with verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation conversation which you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since this happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They 
were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the the women had said. But him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He appeared to be going further, but they constrained him, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them, who said, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on The Journey Home, join Marcus when he welcomes former evangelical Mark Shea to the show. He'll talk about his journey home to the Catholic Church and answer many of your questions on this Open Line Monday. That's on the next Journey Home, only on EWTN. The Journey Home is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Coming Home Network International and Marcus Grodi invite you to join us for our 7th Annual Deep in History Conference coming this fall to Columbus, Ohio. This year we will begin on the rock looking to understand the question of authority, the pillar and bulwark of truth. Join us the weekend of October 23rd as we bring together another exciting list of speakers. For more information, go to deepinhistory.com or call us at 800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. Our guest tonight is Tim Drake. He's coming to us from Minnesota. Evening, Tim. I'm just curious, is there still snow up there? (laughs) No, it's a beautiful, beautiful summer day here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's great to talk with you. Yeah, likewise. Good to be with you again, Marcus. It's uh, it's been far too long. Uh, I I can't remember the last time we were together, but it, it is great to have you on the program. Yeah, it's been great. I think it's been probably since about 2003, I think, probably. <laughs> I didn't realize it was actually that long, but but welcome to Deep in Scripture. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. I don't I don't know if you're able to hear Deep in Scripture up in your neck of the woods, but um, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here. And um, what I usually do in the program is I, I first ask the guest 
uh, to talk a little bit in general why this particular text. Uh, and I'm curious, did this text have a lot to do in your own journey uh, of coming to the Catholic Church? Yeah, you know, the text, it's interesting. Uh, the, the Church has this wonderful word it uses to describe uh, mystery or to describe things that we receive but do not often understand, and that word is mystagogy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this passage, certainly growing up as a, as a Lutheran, um, like most folks, uh, I had seen the, the famous painting of this passage, it's one I've always really, really liked. And, but I, I was always struck by the fact that, you know, why were these men who were walking with Jesus, why were they prevented from, you know, from recognizing him? And in my own personal journey uh, from the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America to the Catholic Church, it wasn't until I started considering the, the claims of Catholicism and wrestling with the misconceptions that I had that this passage started to take on an entirely different meaning from the one that uh, <laughs> that it had before. And so that's why I selected this this passage because it really it really speaks to me personally and speaks of uh, my own journey. I say I would say that we are all on a road to Emmaus with Christ. Yeah. He's trying to bring us closer to him, bring us to Emmaus, to that experience there. Um, you know, he waits to have that encounter with us to reveal himself to us in both word and sacrament. And I, I, it's just, it is a favorite passage, and that's why I, why I selected it. Well, and we both know because of, uh, from our background, that this theme of this on the journey to Emmaus, this road to Emmaus, uh, has been uh, lifted up and used to illustrate the spiritual journey. Not a, in no way merely as a Catholic symbol, but uh, you know, in our Protestant world, I know that there were weekends called Emmaus Road journeys because in the story here you see these men coming from, as the scriptures say, for whatever you know, reason, in God's wisdom, they were kept from seeing and understanding at first. Yeah. And then there, it's not implying that that's normative for everyone, that everyone before their awakening was, was held back somehow by the grace of God. Um, it doesn't say that. But yet it does speak to the mystery between the work of grace in a person's life and then their free will to decide. There's that, that interesting mystery. But it does show this journey. And I know in my own self, you know, I was brought up Lutheran also, but I went through stages. I, you know, there was a, it was kind of a nominal Lutheran, and then I had a later awakening to an ex, a, a person who was enthused about Jesus. And, uh, and then at that point I would look at this passage and see it illustrative of that journey. And then later... Again, the awakening to the Catholic Church, uh, and that's I think parallel to your own journey, isn't it? It is, um, and for me, really, sort of the uh, I guess we want to say the, the the climax of that journey was recognizing Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. and it took me a while to get to that point, but once I once I recognized that then nothing could hold me back. 
and I wanted nothing but to, to run to the priest and to say, I believe everything that the Church teaches and everything that the Church believes, and I realize I'm supposed to wait until Easter, but to do so seems like I'm somehow denying Christ. And and really for me, um, and I, this came largely through uh, the practice of Eucharistic adoration, which I had signed up for uh, and was, was going to, even though I didn't have a full understanding of, <laughs> of who it was I was praying before. Um, but th- that gave this passage, new, it breathed new life into this passage for me, you know, where these, these men are walking along with, with Christ. He tries to reveal himself to them using the Old Testament passages, and it's not enough. It's not enough. And, and in many ways, that's, that's how I was as a Lutheran. I, I had done a lot of you know, Bible studies as a Lutheran uh, teen, uh, and I felt that I knew Christ because I, I knew Scripture. I had an understanding of Scripture. But as the story shows us, it is not until they reach Emmaus, until he breaks the bread, that they come to recognize him. And that, too, was how I came to to really know Christ in his entirety, um, was, you know, in both Scripture and in the bread, in the Eucharist. Well, I'll tell you what, let's reflect on, on the, several of the verses in this passage. Let's look back, and, and, and Tim, go ahead if you have another verse or so that you want sure. to focus on. But the first one that comes to mind, I think, is verse 16, um, and... You know where it says, "But their eyes were kept from recognizing him." Yeah, and reflect on that uh, mm-hmm. in, in the light of how you understand, from the church's perspective, how God touches people. Because there sure. was, there, there was real, there was good reason why God may have done that very thing in their lives. That's right. I mean, we have to recognize. Okay, first of all, that this is the post-resurrection Jesus, right? So there has been some change. Some change <laughs> has yep. occurred. So. I mean, on that level alone, we have to understand that there is a possibility that they may not have recognized him because he's been transfigured, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. But I think on a, on a deeper level, um, that their eyes were kept from recognizing him shows that, that it is he who chooses the time and the place. Mm-hmm. It is he who chooses how and when he will reveal himself to us. And it reminds me very much of the scripture passage about that, you know, we we do not choose him; he chose us. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, that certainly is true. I mean, and as you know, Marcus, in interviewing, you know, hundreds—is it thousands, perhaps now—of uh, uh, people who have come into the church, the Holy Spirit works in each one of their lives in a unrepeatable way mm-hmm. because they are a unique, unrepeatable individual, uh, a unique soul. And so the way that, you know, God reveals himself to each person is going to be unrepeatable. <laughs> and, and this story, if you compare it to the other stories, um, if you could imagine how it may have been different if walking along, Jesus walked up and they immediately recognized him. Their reaction may have prevented them May, may have prevented Jesus from, from being able to teach them what he intended. Yeah. Because their enthusiasm uh, and, and all that would have come to their mind first 
uh, would have got in the way of what he wanted to communicate to them. And so we just see in this instance, you know, Jesus choosing to keep them from recognizing first because he wanted, let's say, he wanted to get from them some information first. What did they know already? What did they heard? And had they on their own, given all the Old Testament, on their own, were they able to figure it out? (laughs) And how would Jesus have been able to get that information from them unless, you know, he, he certainly could read their minds, but to get them to say that in person without them not knowing it was him. And so that's the tact he used. Um, and I, I dare say, in our own lives, I think it applies. You know, Jesus made that comment, whatever you do, the least of these you do to me. Um, you know, if we knew that that person was Jesus, we might reach out and help. But he's wanting to see whether we'll help him, help a person not recognizing Jesus, but because they're a person. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, it, it's clear in this passage that that there is something that he wants to teach them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yep. You know, and so you know, if if he had revealed himself immediately, we would not have had anything which follows. We would not have had him, uh, you know, explaining yep. himself with using the Old Testament. We would not have had what happened at Emmaus. Uh, you know, so in fact, in First Corinthians 15, uh, it says in the very beginning, when Paul is relating, um, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, and most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, and the point is, if if they had to recommend uh, recognize Jesus immediately, they would have just gone. Gaga, and there's Jesus, and bow down on their on their knees, and it would have been one more of these appearances, and like you said, he wouldn't have been able to teach them what has come down to us as such an important story. Yeah. How about um, you know they relate from verse um, eighteen? They're amazed that Jesus or this person they don't recognize as Jesus doesn't seem to know what's happened, so they relate. And they give their perspective, which has not been awakened by grace yet. Hmm. But the point is that even what has happened, the women have reported the tomb, the men have gone there, it says the women have said, um, but they didn't get it yet. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have not been brought, really brought to a position of belief, have they? <laughs> and and they, they know the Old Testament, the Scriptures. Yeah. And so that in itself says that, of course, without grace, without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the written word is not sufficient. Yes, yes. Yes, that's a, I think that's a, a very, very good point. Uh, because you think of this, they, they're traveling for seven miles together. Mm-hmm. You know, now I don't know how, how long it would take to walk seven miles, uh, but at least an hour. Probably well, two, actually, probably a little two. over, probably at the usual <laughs> pace if you're walking, that would be a little over two hours. Yeah, so, so they've got two hours. And think about Christ, uh, you know, re- trying to reveal himself using all of the prophecies mm-hmm. from the Old Testament. And I think that number is somewhere probably, what, 300? Mm-hmm. 
You know, I, I yeah. don't know how many of those he was able to address in two hours' time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Especially if they were interrupting over and over and over again and, uh, uh, you know, amazed by what he was saying. Yeah, but, it does, but that's the, the, the point is... And they still don't know he's Jesus. Yeah, they do, they, and it, it doesn't, it's not enough. And it really speaks to me of the, and I, I'll use this word uh, if you want to correct it, fine, but it, it speaks to me of the insufficiency of Scripture or Word alone yeah. to reveal Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, he, but, you know, we're revealing, he's revealing this is the Word made flesh, right? Jesus Christ, the, the living, breathing, walking, talking, eating, miracle-performing, teaching Son of God. And, it, it, and it's, a, it's a person. It is the Word made flesh. Mm-hmm. And so the Word alone isn't going to do it. And I, a little bit ago, I made the comment that, uh, you know, that, okay, they haven't been awakened by grace yet because it says back in 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. However, verse 25, Jesus says to them, now they don't know he's Jesus yet. Yeah. <laughs> and it says that he hasn't he begun his explanation yet. He says, O foolish men. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And so the point is, because I was hearing myself from my old Presbyterian Protestant background saying, well, you know, the Bible alone, of course, isn't sufficient unless you've been given the grace of the Holy Spirit. But the point is, in that verse, he's not letting them off the hook and saying, well, of course, the reason you didn't believe because I haven't told you yet. He is holding them accountable. Oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe. That's right. And so it, the truth is that the word of Scripture is the divine word of God. But apart from a teacher, it isn't enough, even with the graces that they have, because verse 27, we then see him explain it. Yeah. And I like this verse here, 26, mm-hmm. uh, that line where he says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? I just finished reading an excellent excellent book. I'm sure you've read it, Marcus, and uh, I'm sure many of the listeners have heard of it, by Peter Kraft uh, called Making Sense Out of Suffering. <laughs> and it's, a, it's just a, a delightful book um, and really opens your eyes to, to suffering and, and, and why it is that we suffer. And here we have Christ saying, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? And Kreeft really comes down to the point that, that we are all going to suffer. And the reason we're all going to suffer is because Christ did. And uh, so to have Christ, you know, in this conversation, you know, just, just bringing this up, he's really saying this, this, was, this was a necessity. Well... And what it points out, and we can't point fingers at these guys or the Old Testament folk because, um, in, in essence, they were they had been choosing the scriptures that they wanted to listen to and ignoring the ones they didn't want to listen to, as people continue to do to this day. Sure. They were looking at the scriptures and the prophecies that talked about a victorious kingly Christ 
But the verses that talked about a suffering Christ, in other words, uh, the Isaiah passages in Isaiah chapter 50 and on, those sections, the suffering servant, well, they didn't like those quite so much. You know, that wasn't, they didn't preach as well. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, they're foolish men slow to heart because they didn't recognize that they weren't looking for a Christ that would suffer. They were looking for a Christ that would destroy the Romans. Mm-hmm. And because he didn't destroy the Romans, then they didn't start adding it up. And so there he is doing that. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, Tim, let's, look, let's continue looking at this, this issue of his suffering, as well as the significance that uh, when Jesus starts to explain the scriptures, of course, very clearly in verse 27, we see that he's talking about not the whole Bible as we presume it, but in fact, the Old Testament scriptures. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grota. I am joined tonight by a good friend, Tim Drake. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Mark your calendars and pack your bags. The Global Catholic Network is bringing you another EWTN family celebration. On August 8th and 9th, we'll be in Birmingham, Alabama, celebrating this year's theme, Rejoice in Hope. Join some of our most popular hosts, Marcus Grodi, Raymond Arroyo, Barbara McWigan, Father Wade Menezes, The Donut Man, and more. We'll have inspirational talks, Holy Mass, Family Corner, a kid's concert by The Donut Man, and a live taping of a special Crossing the Goal with Danny Abramowitz. For more information on this free event, log on to EWTN.com or call 205-271-2989. The EWTN Family Celebration, August 8th and 9th in Birmingham, Alabama. We'll see you there. Here's that number again for more information, 205-271-2989, or log on to EWTN.com. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. I'm joined this evening by Tim Drake, and we're looking at uh, Luke chapter uh, 24, uh, the story about the, the, the two that met Jesus along the road to Emmaus. Tim, before we break, I suggested talk a little bit more, if you'd like, about the, the, the theme of suffering here, as well as um, the, the direct significance of the use of the word scriptures. Hmm. Yeah, the suffering, uh, I, I, that, uh, I, was, I was struck by that. And as you pointed out, Marcus, um, uh, as a Lutheran, it just didn't seem like that was something that we spent a lot of time right. addressing or talking about or <laughs> learning about redemptive suffering. And so I'm just struck by it in this passage that, that Christ, uh, you know, points us out so directly. But moving on to the, uh, the line about uh, scriptures, um, it, it might be easy for someone to read that line on, in 27 and think he's, he's talking about the entirety of scriptures. But we have to understand that, you know, the time when this was, he was using the Old Testament um, to reveal himself. Uh, to these two gentlemen. Uh, and so, I mean, I just think that's an important distinction for yeah. us to understand. It never crossed, I'm sure it's the same for you, Tim, but when I was young, growing up a Lutheran, going through Luther's catechism and talking about these scriptures, you know, it never, it just never crossed my mind that that the scriptures he was talking about, that upon which he was explaining his significance, were the Old Testament, yeah. and, and not the New Testament documents. And, uh, 
the reason it was significant to me is I think back and I'm the young man that, you know, really we focused more on the New Testament than the Old. And very often Christians today focus only on the New Testament and, and know a few stories from the Old Testament, but really Jesus used the Old Testament to explain his full significance. Now, the, the next part, of course, is um, uh, you know, important about the, uh, the symbolism. Uh, and there's so much symbolism in verse 28 to 35, symbols in the sense of pointing forward to that which we will understand more fully later. And they came to see. And I wonder if you would, um, it's kind of interesting, this, the symbols in verse uh, 28, 29, before we get into the, the Eucharistic symbols, as they drew near the village to which they were going, he appeared to be going further, but they constrained him, saying, stay with us for us toward evening, and the day is now spent. So he went in to stay with them. I mean, that, I mean, why are those details important? We know historically that St. Augustine and other great Catholic theologians always recognized that there were layers of understanding in Scripture beyond the literal. Sure. And I think, it, it, would you like to comment on that? Because I think there's some interesting symbolisms in there that, remember John in his gospel talked about, and it was night Okay. when Nicodemus comes. Do you know where I'm getting at in this passage? That it is night. Uh, go, ahead, go ahead. I mean, if I were to comment on this, I would. the thing that jumps out at me here is that um, he appeared to be going further. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that in my mind, you know, my, I, I start asking questions. Well, where? <laughs> where? Where is he going and what is he doing and what work is it that he has to do, you know? Um, and so he, those are the questions that kind of jump to my mind. Sure. And, and, and running with that that you're talking about, he's, I mean, really, really in, picture the psychology of the way he is lovingly, charitably dealing with these two men yeah. uh, and, and the way he's... Um, you know, he's with them. He gives them all this stuff. He tells them from the beginning of Moses all the way through. And as they're drawing near, um, we don't have any information that they said a word other than just listen to him with their jaws dragging on the ground as they're amazed <laughs> at what he's saying. But they don't see him, Jesus, yet. Yeah. Who is this guy? And then it's kind of it's done, and he just keeps going on. And the question is, are they going to call him back? You know, you know, have they really been touched? And their first step towards touching him is to constrain him. Wait, wait, wait a second. Yeah. You know, we want more of this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait a second. This is starting to explain. There, there's something special about this. And, I, and this, you know, when I mentioned that the, this is night image in John, that's often interpreted to, to be the, the kind of the coming of the darkness um, you know, Nicodemus comes at night. In other words, the, the image of darkness when the people are in darkness and need a great light, all right? And Nicodemus is coming in the midst of that darkness, out of that darkness to hear Jesus. In these, in, here we see the symbolism. It's, it was toward evening. And, you know, that symbol being, um, we think of evening, again, as the beginning of night. But in the Jewish day, evening was the beginning of a new day. Okay, so, you know, the, the Jewish day begins at 6 o'clock at night and goes overnight and ends 6 o'clock the next night. Not like we think about, we think about day beginning when the sun rises and then sets. But 
So we have this unique time. It's right at the edge of an awakening. It's almost evening and the day is now spent. It's like on the, they're right on the cusp of an awakening. And they don't want him to go. Yeah. Wait, wait, there's something more here. It's almost like I can't put my hand on it, but what you're saying, there's something about you. Don't go. We've got to hear more. And, and we see that image, and then right after that image of wanting to know more, we see the, instead of more teaching, we see this visible demonstration. So go ahead, Tim, with verse 30 uh, about the significance, because you were saying this was a big point for you. Yeah, it was. I mean, you, you think about this. He has just walked with them. He has just given them information, all right, the liturgy of the Word. <laughs> yes. And now they go in, and as you said, uh, there isn't more verbal teaching. They're sitting down at table, and he's taking bread, and he's blessing it and breaking it and giving it to them. So the liturgy of the Eucharist, I mean, that, for me, as a Lutheran coming into the Catholic Church, you know, this, this passage uh, was very, very helpful, you know, um, because you have Christ here revealing himself most completely, most profoundly in the breaking of the bread. And in fact, if we... Uh, if we consider Luke and Act as essentially one book, both by the same author, both telling a continuous story, verse tw- chapter 24 is the last of Luke, and then we have Acts 1 and 2. So really two chapters after this image, after he has just done what you've read, we see described in Luke in Acts chapter 2, we see the church gathered, And it says, those who believed gathered together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and day by day attending to the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts. We see this sharing, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That verse, verse 22, apostles' teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers follows the same pattern that we see in this passage. As they first hear the word, as Christ explains the Old Testament, as you said, and then there's the breaking of the bread. Now, when, when you were Lutheran, did you see that second half at all? <laughs> I didn't. Did you? No. Uh, well, did I see it? I, I saw it, but I certainly didn't uh, understand the, the deeper meaning. Um, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I would say it's just sort of... Uh, passed over me. My, uh, my eyes did not recognize it. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that I saw it as something about his eating, that he was real, or, but I didn't, I didn't even catch the Eucharistic hint. Um, and I don't know if my eyes were kept from recognizing on purpose or whether you know, it was just my stupidity or, or what, <laughs> but I didn't see that. That's right. Um, but it it is remarkable because, you know, the, the Church teaches, right, that there are four different ways that we encounter Christ. We encounter Christ in His Word, mm-hmm. in Scripture. We encounter Him in, uh, in the person of the priest. We encounter Him in one another. But the most profound encounter that we have with Christ is in communion. 
in the breaking of the bread. You know, this is where we, we in essence, meet him face to face, but even more than that, we, we consume him. We, we take Christ inside of us. You know, and so when you when you think about that as you read this this section, it, it, it's it's just a remarkable passage. And and just what what you said, I just wanted to, to point out the uh, the connection with what you've just said and how we encounter Christ in the four different ways to see the connection that uh, it goes to that Acts two forty two passage. You said we are connected with Christ through the priesthood, right? Um, in through the word, we are connected with uh, him, with one another, and with the Eucharist. Verse 42, Acts chapter 2, the apostles' teaching and fellowship. The fellowship is with one another. The apostles' teaching is the word, and the breaking of bread, the Eucharist. And of course, the prayers are how we encounter Christ ourselves directly through our worship and through our prayer with him as we commune with the Holy Spirit. The same things are referenced there. And again, it's the same author. It's Luke describing this work. In the Luke passage, they haven't quite, they're just starting to recognize it. And, and yet it's all there, too. I mean, if, if we look mm-hmm. at it, right, we can say that, all right, uh, we've got the two, the two men, uh, Cleopas, and, uh, and if we're probably Luke, right, is the other, perhaps. Um, We've got Christ present there, so the high priest, right? Mm-hmm. He's using the Old Testament, and finally, the breaking of the bread. So, I mean, those those four elements, or those four ways of encountering Christ are all present in this story as well. When I look at verse 32, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I get a little chuckle out of this, because today, in our culture, where people put the wrong spin on things and you, you can tell them something straight in the face they just aren't really hearing the truth. You can almost imagine today that after it says they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? You could almost say someone, well, you should have taken a Tums. <laughs> in, in other words, missing the point yeah. of, um, and they're not focusing on the, their heartburn uh, they're focusing on what the explanation of Jesus did to touch them deep within. And it, it does remind me of John Wesley talking about that warm experience that he experienced with Christ in his own conversion uh, that I'm assuming, always assumed that he kind of got from this passage. Uh, but, uh, but it was more than merely the explanation, wasn't it, uh, Tim? It was his talking to them. His talking, yes. Uh, in other words, just it, the being, being in his presence, right? Mm-hmm. And learning from him. Yeah, you think about that, uh, our hearts burning, right? I mean, and as a, as a new Catholic, I mean, I, I can remember, you know, those times when my heart did burn. I mean, you, you want to go out and you, you want to evangelize. You know, you want to go out and preach the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can easily kind of see what it is that, what it is that they're addressing here, you know, what they're saying, that, uh, that, 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 that feeling that they have because of this encounter. Again, we have this parallel in verse 31 with Paul falling off the horse, the scales 
at that point blinding him, which was interesting because it gave Paul a time of reflection. The positive side of receiving the scales on his eyes is it gave him three days, or however long it was until they came off at his baptism, to, to be isolated from the world, to reflect on what is going on. We see that here, that the, between the time in verse 16, when it says their eyes were kept from recognizing him, all the way until verse 31, when their eyes were opened, that is parallel to Paul's blind period. And there they had the time, not recognizing Christ, but to hear him, to walk with him, to experience this kind of slowly over this two-hour or so walk. And then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he was gone. <laughs> and he was gone. And, uh, and then that's when they talk about, whoa, you know, did... It's almost like when they're saying in verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us? It's almost like they're telling themselves, a bunch, we're a bunch of dummies. Why didn't we recognize him? <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, it's, great, it's great that you, you're talking about Paul here, because, I mean, really, this story is a conversion story, mm-hmm. you know. The, these men are brought to a, a point of belief, right? And, uh, and, I, and I, of course, I love that, that next line, which is, and they rose that same hour, that same hour and return to Jerusalem, you know, so they're going back the seven miles. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, yeah, they, right. They didn't wait till the next day and uh, they just had to tell. Yeah. Which, again, is, is what you express is this desire once you know the truth of Jesus and his church, you really want to tell because it's not just for you or me, it's for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's to be shared, you know, and you, you can imagine them. You know, probably they probably weren't walking, don't you think? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> they were probably running at top speed. There's a a sad uh, side to this, if you will, um, because it says when they got to Jerusalem, they found the eleven gathered together, and those who were with them. I mean, do you see the the, the significance of the sadness that's there? Because there was just 11. This is not, this has taken place not before the meeting in Acts chapter 1 when they appoint the replacement for Judas. This hasn't happened yet. There's still, the 11 and all those are gathered in the upper room praying. This is during that novena period, if you will, the nine days. Pentecost hasn't happened. And so the sadness is to, to remember the one that's missing, yeah. um, who, uh, you know, had turned his back on Christ and then was the, was the means by which the cross, but the means by which Good Friday came about, you know. So the bit of the sadness for Judas, uh, we wish we could grab him, you know, but we recognize in the, in the great wisdom of God that he was a part of the plan. Yeah. Um, but they were gathered and those were with them. And, uh, and then he said, the Lord has risen. And, and, and what's interesting, <laughs> I mean, they walk in already to, to tell him something, <laughs> right? But what happens before they even get a word out of their mouth? <laughs> yeah, their thunder is stolen a little there. <laughs> <laughs> what happens? Go ahead and read it to the audience, because it is yeah, yeah, funny. It's, uh, of course, they say, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, they uh, they ran back to seven miles, and uh, and what they have come to tell is are is already known, right? And the excitement of that is, you know, what they experienced is confirmed immediately. It's not merely some kind of personal thing. Maybe those seven miles they were asking, did it really happen? I mean, come on. Yeah, I was there too. Yeah. I mean, really, will they believe us? Sure. You know, how are we going to convince them? Yeah. What, what are we going to do? Oh, let's go back and get the bread. No, come on, we got to go. I mean, all things that may have happened all the way. And they run in, maybe wondering what they're going to say. And as soon as they get in, they're grabbed and and it's all confirmed. And and it is important. Why is it to you and me, Tim, that they didn't just say the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to his apostles? Yeah. It says he's appeared to Simon. Yeah. And once again, I mean, what's the significance to that to you, Tim? Well, it's the it's the primacy of of <laughs> yeah. right of Peter. It's uh, you know that is who is the first among them to recognize him, you know, that, um, and the, that primacy is shown throughout Acts, you know. And that's really, uh, it was true for me, that was, again, one of those pieces of evidence that convinced me of the significance of Peter. Yeah. Because if you think of all the accounts, right, of the apostles, um, they, the the 12 apostles are not equally drawn out and emphasized. You know, this story's with Peter, and this one's with, some are with John, James, and, but there's a four, but the rest of them we hardly even hear about. Yeah. But here, in this very significant proof of his, of his resurrection, it comes down to making sure that Peter's mentioned. Because of Peter, if he's appeared to Peter, well then, it must be true. Yeah, that's right. Now, we're going to take one last break, Tim. We come back. Let's reflect on, if you would, for the audience, that very last sentence and talk about that, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grote. I'm joined tonight by Tim Drake, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host with Tim Drake, and we're looking, just closing up our discussion on Luke chapter 24, and there's so much in this passage that Tim, you and I, all our lives, ever focused on the need for conversion, the, the you know, the witness of, of Christ Himself, explaining the scriptures. But it really comes down to one of the most important verses is that last one: how He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Yeah, that's right. You know, we we start off by the, as the story starts. Um, 
that these two men do not know him. They do not recognize him. And I can remember, as I said earlier, that as a Lutheran, that, that did puzzle me somewhat. But yet, you know, now I would say I have a more mature understanding of that, and that I can see how that Christ, even in our midst, is not always recognized. Yeah. And there are so many that do not recognize him, particularly in the sacrament of the Eucharist. And so this last line, uh, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread, what I'm struck by is that, you know, how is it that, that we know something? Or how do we know a person? And the reason, the way that we know a, a person in particular is by spending time with them. And these men have spent time with, with Christ, uh, you know, as he, as he walked in Jerusalem, and here they are spending this time with the re- resurrected Christ. You know, they are being taught by him. They are being fed by him. And so it is through this combined uh, encounter with him, both in word and sacrament, that they come to know him fully. And, you know, one of the most famous passages in, in Scripture is the passage of the vine and the branches where Jesus calls his apostles to remain in him, to abide in him. Well, how do we abide in him? How do we truly know him? Well, the only place in Scripture where he clearly says the word abide and how you do it is John 6:56, where he says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am him. It's through the Eucharist that we truly come to know him. Tim, thank you for joining us on Deep in Scripture. Yeah, thank you, Marcus. I- I'm sorry it didn't take very long. You know, we, we need to do it again. <laughs> Anytime. And our prayers are with you as you continue your work in writing. And I know it's a difficult time with the economy, but you have a great gift for that. So I just pray that the Lord continues to open the door for the use of your writing, for both for ministry but also for the support of your family. Thank you, Marcus. And thank all of you for joining us on Deep in Scripture. You know, we all are on a walk like those guys on the Emmaus Road. Are our eyes open to Jesus and the truth of Him in His Word as well as the Eucharist, the gift of His body and blood. God bless you. See you next week.